In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Lord, as we gather on this uh, final night of our discernment of spirits course, we ask you to just bless our time together. Help it to be beneficial for us, uh, each in our own journey. And we ask you to uh, just give clarity to these last rules of the discernment of spirits of St. Ignatius. And we pray together. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Okay, so I apologize for my voice. It's just what it is right now. I don't know how to fix it, but... Hopefully it's, hopefully it's good for Sunday. Yeah, I hope so. We'll see. Uh, so we're on the last five rules. So we've, we've gone one through nine, and now we're going to try to get through the last five tonight. So um, any questions before we start? Do you have a hand up for the last five? Uh, <laughs> not here. I think I might have copies in my office. Okay. I guess I have the book. Yeah. So, any other questions that I can try to answer? All right. Uh, so we're going to start with Rule 10, which if you look at your hand out there, it's one of the shorter ones tonight. It says, Let him who is in consolation think how he will be in the desolation which will come after, taking new strength for then. So, um, in these, these rules tonight, we're going to be looking at kind of first to kind of prepare ourselves and then kind of uh, the last three rules are more to kind of help us understand how to fight off desolation. So rule 10 is about uh, consolation. So mostly uh, in our discussion, we talk about the experience of desolation because when we're in consolation, most of the time it feels pretty good. And we're not too worried about figuring things out. It just kind of feels more natural. God is uh, present to us. We feel close to him. Our prayer is more consoling. Um, But when we're in desolation, that's when we feel dry. We feel distracted. We feel like things are not going so great. Maybe we feel like it's easy to be hard on ourselves. So the idea here is when we're in consolation... To kind of prepare. It's kind of like, uh, maybe you know, I'm sure you're familiar with the story of Joseph in the Old Testament. Mm-hmm. Remember how he had the, the experience, he interpreted Pharaoh's dream of the seven good years and then the seven bad years. So it's kind of like that. When we're in consolation, those are the seven good years, we got to store up some lard for <laughs> the coming th- thin times, right? So, or put aside some extra grain those years so that at that time, Somebody's alarm is going off. At that time, we want to we want to prepare by setting aside, right? So we want to make sure that we have um, an awareness that this time of consolation is it's a gift. It's given to us, um, and we need to be preparing for what is to come. We're on rule ten. Okay. Uh, so we want to be preparing for what is to come. And how do you do that? It's not like you can just stash it away, right? But the idea is, if we recognize that the spiritual life is always 
a series of ups and downs, right? That's just the natural flow of things. So there are going to be times when we are in consolation and there's going to be times when we're in desolation. We can't create consolation, right? It's, it's a gift from God. So when we're, when we're in this time of consolation, our primary focus ought to be just receiving. Thank you, Lord, for this gift. Thank you for this uh, experience, you know, to kind of focus on just receiving. That's the primary thing. If we rush right off into saying, we got to, we got, there's scarcity coming up. We got to get ready. We don't take time to just receive, right? So like if you have, maybe you had the experience of hosting a party. Anybody done that before? When you're hosting a party, you can have two sort of dispositions. And I've had both. Uh, one is, oh my gosh, there's people here. I got to serve. I got to make sure they have what they need. I'm stressed out, right? So even though it's supposed to be a celebration, my experience of that day or that event is like, ah, this is crazy. Uh, and we don't really enjoy it. Well, the whole po point of having a party is to celebrate. Now, understandably, there are times when it's like, I'm willing to sacrifice and offer this celebration for someone else so that they can celebrate. But if we're the ones that are trying to celebrate and the experience is like, I can't do this because I'm busy trying to be a host or hostess. Um, it, so there, there is some sense of just like, relax, enjoy. Like you did all the work to get here, to get the party. And now the party's happening. Talk to people, enjoy, eat the food, you know, like have, have an experience of celebration. Don't be like thinking about like, oh, I got to do the dishes. Like that time will come, you know, <laughs> I got to, I got to take out the trash. Like that time will come. Like, yeah. you know, but enjoy this time. Enjoy this moment. Cause once people are gone, like party's over and I missed my chance to, to really enjoy that experience. Right. So, um, so our primary focus ought to be enjoying the consolation, receiving this gift that God gives on the side though. There is a sense of like, I know this time is coming when the party's over and I got to do all those other things, clean up and so forth. And the energy of being with my loved ones or friends or whatever is going to carry me through that time, right? As I'm cleaning up, I'll re be remembering all the good conversations I had and the fun that was and the connections that I saw between other friends. And so those things carry me through that time. Um, if I spent the whole time just running around like, oh my gosh, I got to do this and clean up that mess and da da da, like, then I'm not really receiving what that time is meant to be. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, um, primary is to receive that time, but then secondarily to kind of cultivate that awareness that no matter how consoled I am or how blessed I am in this moment, there's going to come a time of desolation just by natural flow of the spiritual life, we're going to have that. Now we can, we can decrease how deep this goes and how, how difficult it is by our disposition, but we can't totally avoid it uh, usually. So um, then also to cultivate a spirit of detachment, right? So uh, rule 10 is helping us to think about desolation is going to come and consolation is a gift. So detachment from trying to control, right? I can't control. I just receive. I just receive what God gives. And so 
this idea sometimes that we can control everything, um, it can make us prideful. Oh, things are going pretty good right now. I'm feeling very consoled. Everybody, uh, look at me how consoled I am and how I'm, I'm, I'm a very spiritual person and therefore that's why I have this experience of consolation. And really it's more like we should have this posture of receptivity. This is a gift I'm here to receive. Um, so that ought to be something that we try to cultivate. Otherwise, um, if we're not sort of looking ahead, we can, we can be sort of caught off guard when the desolation comes. And so um, remember that, I think it was the first class we talked about riding on the bus and how if you're riding on the bus and you're watching ahead, you can see the turns. So if you're standing and you're holding on to your little bus pole or whatever, you kind of lean into the turn and you kind of see what's coming versus if I'm just like talking to my friend and I'm not really paying attention, like, oh, there's a big turn here and I didn't see that coming. So there's a way in which if we're paying attention to uh, what is coming down the pipe, we can kind of be more uh, prepared for that when it comes. Make sense? Mm -hmm. Okay, so that's rule 10. Um, make sure I got everything. Another aspect of this one you could also say is just to remember that desolation, if we, were, if we go back to previous rules, desolation is, uh, sometimes it's caused because of our ne neglect, but it's also often more often caused by God inviting us to grow and to trust in him rather than ourselves. And so we might think of that too when we're in consolation to say, I'm grateful, Lord, I'm grateful for this. And I know that you're going to ask me to grow in the future here at some point. So I, I'm detached from controlling the situation. And then to familiarize ourselves with the tools, these rules of discernment can be helpful. Okay, let's jump now to Rule 11. Rule 11 says, Let him who is consoled see to humbling himself and lowering himself as much as he can, thinking how little he is able for in the time of desolation without such grace or consolation. On the contrary, let him who is in desolation think about, uh, think that he can do much with the grace sufficient to resist all his enemies, taking strength in his Creator and Lord. So this kind of goes well with Rule 10, that we are sort of detaching from control of one or the other, and we're more focusing on it all comes from the Lord. Everything comes from God. So consolation comes to the Lord. I can't control it. I can't make myself feel consoled. I have to just receive from the Lord. Uh, also, when I'm in desolation, I know that the Lord's grace is sufficient for me. So I'm never going to be put in a place where I don't have what I need to stay with the Lord, even though I might not feel it at the time. Um, So yeah, in times of consolation, we might be tempted to think that it's our strength, that it's our, our goodness, our virtue that makes us feel the way we feel. You could think of the example in Scripture of St. Peter. Remember on, the, on Holy Thursday, he tells Jesus, I'll never abandon you, Lord. I'll go with you to, to death. I, I'm, with, I'm your man, basically, he says. And then we see the real thing, like, hey, you still with me, Peter? <laughs> Nope, 
Okay, you know, so this it's sometimes in moments of consolation, we can kind of overstep a little bit and place ourselves in a situation that we're really not strong enough to to endure or where we start to say, well, I can take on all kinds of stuff. Look how, how good I am or how consoled I am. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to really do lots of good for the world. And so we can kind of take on these projects that are beyond us. And that's not always the bad thing because sometimes it's an opportunity where the Lord's, you're trusting the Lord and saying, Lord, I, I believe that you're asking me to do this and you'll give me what I need. But if we go at it in that way, that's different than saying, I'm really big and strong and I can do lots of things. And I'm going to go do this good thing because I know it's a good thing. And then we recognize like, oh, I'm having a hard time here. And we feel uh, suddenly aware of how weak we are. So that, that experience kind of like St. Peter went through. Um, now, God can use that, right? And he will. He'll humble us. <laughs> he will show us. But um, if we have a little more foresight or a little bit more awareness that it's coming from God and not from me, then we might not chew or bite off such a big hunk to chew on. So, um, Yes. So there's there's a there's a sense where we want to um, kind of work against whatever we're experiencing, right? So, on the one case, if I'm in consolation, I w I don't want to be too prideful. I want to remember that this is coming from the Lord. If I'm in desolation, I want to remember that God's grace is always sufficient for me. That I will never be in over my head, in as much as that. He's not going to abandon me there, and he will give me what I need. So depending on where we are, we kind of lean one way or the other. Does that make sense? Yeah. Okay. Questions on Rule 11? If really, the big thing is pride, then. And if you, you know, think that you can, like you were saying, others can do it. Yeah. Yeah, we don't want to be prideful, but neither do we want to be, um, like, the, you can go to the other extreme where you say, I'm never strong enough to do anything, so I won't do anything. I won't help. I'll just, I'll just uh, be here safe where everything is protected, and uh, I've, never, I've never pushed beyond what is comfortable for me. I mean, we can go to that air too. But here he's talking about we don't want to presume or think that, the consolation I feel is my own virtue, but rather with consolation, we always want to recognize this is a gift given from the Lord. It's not something I created by my virtue. It's something I cooperate in, right? If I, if I live my faith, I will be consoled at times, but it's a gift. It's given from the Lord for our good, for our spiritual growth, for strengthening us, for helping us to live, uh, for helping us to desire more, but it's not so that it become prideful. So yeah, you're right. Pride is, is one thing we've got to watch out for in that rule. The next three rules um, are really helping us to look at when the enemy sort of has us on the ropes. So when we're dealing with desolation, how do we, or, or attacks, a spiritual attack in a sense, how do we deal with, with the enemy's attacks? So these last three rules are really focused in on that. Um, There's this phrase, so far, that yeah. the enemy acts like a woman. I, yes. I, I don't understand that. <laughs> the enemy acts like a man. 
<laughs> yes. So that's how how we we're going to start with that with the the problematic metaphor that he uses. Uh, it must be that I mean he's celibate, right? So he probably doesn't have a, a great understanding of women, perhaps. I don't know. But it, if he was if he was if he was teaching women, he probably wouldn't use that. But he's all the all the Jesuits are men, right? So he's probably using that example because. Well, perhaps, perhaps. It is an interesting thing. So let's, let's read the rule and, and uh, we'll digest it together. The twelfth rule. The enemy acts like a woman and being weak against vigor and strong of will. Because as it is the way of the woman when she is quarreling with some man to lose heart, taking flight when the man shows her much courage. On the contrary, if the man losing heart begins to flee, <laughs> the wrath, revenge... And ferocity of the woman is very great. And so without bounds, in the same manner, it is the way of the enemy to weaken and lose heart, his temptations taking flight when the person who is exercising himself in spiritual uh, things opposes a bold front against the temptations of the enemy, doing diametrically the opposite. And on the contrary, if the person who is exercising himself commences to have fear, to lose heart, and suffering in the temptations, there is no beast so wild in the face of the earth as the enemy of human nature in following out his damnable intention with so great a malice. Okay, so, yes, the, the, the choice of example, perhaps, especially in today's world, not a great choice. Yes, yes. Father Timothy suggests uh, perhaps a spoiled child maybe might be a, a good way to go about this. So if you've ever dealt with a spoiled child, right, the, the last thing you want to do is play to their game because then they'll just demand more and more and you'll just never get anywhere with them. You have to be firm. You have to say, no, here's the line. If you cross the line, there's a, there's, you know, we're not going not gonna to just get away with it. So that firmness against the enemy's attack is kind of what he really wants to show is basically this idea of resisting at the door, right? Not letting the enemy come into the house and get comfortable, but right away, the, as soon as the temptation comes, we meet it head on and just say, nope, I'm not going to entertain that. I'm not going to enter into that thought or that idea or start to think about it and say, yeah, what would happen if I did that? What? I wonder... Could I get something good from you? Know, you know, that is the wrong idea, right? Be firm, say no to that disposition or that idea right away, um, and um, we we want to we want to fight against that. So, I'm going to read just a quick example from the book here. Ignatius makes that point clear from the onset of the rule. The enemy is weak when faced with strength and strong with when faced with weakness. If we apply uh, a metaphor here, if the persons responsible are firm in dealing with the spoiled children, such spoiled children cease their petulant ways of acting. If on the contrary, the persons responsible are weak and simple and simply indulge their petulant ways, then these children become merciless and they're trying to get what they want. The key to how this re uh, relational situation will unfold lies in the response of those persons when the spoiled child begins to act in their petulant ways. 
So uh, I would say that's across the board humanity, you know, whether it's children or adults, we all are the same. Uh, so if we're firm, like if you're, if you're a manager or if you're a parent or uh, some kind of person who has oversight of others, making clear what, what the choices are, right? So this is what happens if you obey or if you do your work or whatever. This is what happens when you don't. And then following what you say, right? Being, being, uh, following through, that's, that's important. If they start to, start to see, like, we're pretty quick to pick up on, like, oh, there's a little bit more loosey-goosey there. What can I get away with? And we start to, like, and it's just human nature, right? So sometimes people naturally do that, whether they are doing it out of malice or just, you know, that's kind of how they are. Some people are more like rule followers, and here's the rule, and that's what I'm going to do. And then there's other people who are like, that's the rule, but there's always an exception, right? There's always, in this situation, what would you do? In this situation, what would you do? And so there's kind of that experience. So I would say the devil's more like that. Like, he's always going to try to help you find some reason why this is okay in this particular moment, right? So instead of resisting, we can start to entertain those ideas and say, well, maybe maybe you're right. Maybe this is okay in, in said situation. You sound just like Eve in the garden. Yeah, that's what I said. <laughs> well, if that works for you, if that example works for you, that's, that's a good one. No, what you're saying, that's what happened to her. That's how the devil mm -hmm. right? tossed her into it. Yes. Yeah. yeah, so you can see in Scripture, it's, it's pretty clear. So why don't we, here we are in the year 2023. When was, when was this discernment of spirits written? Ah, uh, the 1630s. Okay, why haven't yeah. this, why hasn't this been taught? <laughs> well, it has. Thank you for having these classes, but why, why hasn't this been taught to us so that we can meet the enemy at the door and, yeah. and throw holy water on him <laughs> and chase him, make the sign of the cross? Sure, sure. Well, I think the reality is, even if we know this teaching, we don't always follow it, right? So knowledge isn't always enough. Uh, we have to have the will to live it out or to act upon it. And sometimes that's the harder part to gain, right? So yes, it's been taught and there's various ways it's been taught. Um, but I would say as of late, our society is not too interested in moral theology or um, so the way that you have to couch this is not a moral teaching necessarily, but a, in today's culture, you sort of have to approach it as, here's a better way to live, right? If you want to be happy, if you want to, if you want to be more consoled, you can put it in a spiritual sense, uh, these are the ways to, to do that. It does take work, it does require that we have some knowledge, we have to know the enemy a little bit, know his tactics, but it... In teaching this, you're kind of presuming a lot of things, right? So if you went to a secular person and started talking about this to them, they'd kind of be like, why do I care about that? All right? So we have, to, we have to presume that you believe in the devil and that he's after us and that there's a God and that there's a way to discern uh, what, is, what is the motions of these two forces in our lives. So it's a good question. Why hasn't it been taught? I think... 
Uh, I'm, I guess I'm speaking not to the whole world, to but just the Catholics outside of the church, but sure. within the church. Yeah. There are some that know. Well, great, but they seem to keep it to themselves. Why? Why don't they? <laughs> sure. Learn and share. I, okay, I, I'm talking about myself now. <laughs> sure, sure. I think part of it is a sense of like nobody cares or nobody will listen or nobody uh, will apply this in their lives or you know. So the the sermons of spirits and Ignatius spirituality has been a thing for centuries, right? Um, and it's been taught, and there's been some effort to kind of renew it, I would say, in the last couple decades. But um, it's, it's, a, it's a way of living or, or um, trying to approach the spiritual life that is a little bit scientific, in a sense. You know, it's not just acting on feelings. You have to, you have to apply these rules and kind of take time to examine and think about it. So... I think there was a sense for a time where, like, it's a little too complicated for some people, you know? And maybe it is. I don't know. Uh, but I think even if we don't totally understand it all or practice it super well, it's still worth learning a little bit about it because it helps you to say, okay, I don't totally get what's happening right now, but I understand there's an, a good guy and a bad guy, and the, the good guys feeling far away from me right now and I'm feeling more presence of the evil one right now. So even if that's all we get in discernment of spirits is like, I am sensing some difference here. Uh, that's, that's a step, right? That's a step in the right direction. And um, the more we can take those little steps, we can start to apply some of these principles. Uh, the more, I wouldn't say power we have, but the more ability we have to say, okay, I don't need to go down into these deep valleys so often I can try to avoid that if that makes sense just really consciously start to look within yourself to yes. put this into practice more. yes, yes, to examine yes, to examine our own souls, the state of our souls to be able to step outside of ourselves is a big part of this so there's a, there's a I would say many many people today are they just live life and they don't examine, right? So to examine ourselves is kind of like to step out of ourselves, look at ourselves, and make a judgment. How am I doing? What emotions am I feeling? How has the day been? Have I been faithful to the Lord? Have I been unfaithful to the Lord? Most, most people, I think, are just kind of living by their emotions, their feelings, and that's why these kind of teachings maybe don't have a lot of traction because it's... It requires this stepping out, taking a look, making a, a, a judgment on where we are and how, how am I doing. If you don't even believe in the idea of sin, like that's nonsense because all, all, you, all you do in, if, if you don't believe in sin and virtue and all that is just whatever I do is fine. So there is no bad or good. It's just what I feel like and I do that. And that's kind of where people are in a secular uh, way right now in our world is that they have that more secular mindset. Now, sometimes through no fault of their own, right? So we don't blame them. It's just the, the two, they never received the tools, like you said. They haven't been taught. They haven't received that gift. And so we don't say that they're bad because of that. We just say, man, they, 
they're in a tough spot because they don't have the tools they need to, to make some progress here. So, other questions or comments on that? Thank you for explaining that, Father. Okay, does that make sense? Okay. Okay, so a uh, couple things. Temptation, right, is the ordinary way that the devil attacks us. There's extraordinary ways, which we don't want to talk about that. We'll just talk about the ordinary ways. So ordinary way would be his attempt to kind of pull us along. So temptation is not something that we've done wrong, right? Temptation is something that we all experience. Every person experiences. Even Christ experienced temptation, right? The temptation's in the desert. So it's not any sign of your weakness or something that you were feeling tempted. But then what happens is we have to just determine what, what we're going to do, right? And so that's, temptation is the fertile bed uh, place where desolation can begin to happen, right? Because when we're tempted, we're confronted. And if we start to follow the evil one down a path, that does lead to desolation. desolation. That's uh, when we talked about the three sort of general ways in which we're led to desolation, that's, that's the first one is that we follow the evil one. He leads us by sin, uh, by temptation, ultimately to sin. And then through our sin, we start to see less clearly. If we stay in the state of sin, we, st we see less clearly and it's easier to go further down into the hole, right? Because <coughs> things are distorted. We don't see well. Um, so that's just a reality. That's a spiritual reality. If we're in the state of sin, we can't see clearly. So temptation, we all experience it. We're all going to deal with it. But the question is, how do we respond to it? Again, if we're firm and we say, no, I'm not going to go there, there's a difference in how the evil one, like, it's almost like he's looking for the, the weak link, right? So if we are firm, he's going to move on to somebody else or something else. Um, or, yeah, yeah, the scripture passes. <laughs> Yeah, so there, there's there's a way in which if we're firm and stand fast, like he's not going to gain ground on us. But if we start to entertain and we're weak in that area, that's where we're going to experience that. So temptation and desolation are both caused by the enemy, right? They're allowed by the Lord, by God, but they are caused, the cause of them is the enemy, the enemy of our souls. So that's important to realize. Like God doesn't cause us to be tempted. He doesn't cause us to be desolate, uh, but he allows that for our own good, ultimately, right? Uh, I think it's St. Thomas who says, the devils weave crowns for us in heaven by their, by their action, right? So they tempt us to do things. And every time we say no, it's like we take a little step in going a little bit further towards the Lord. Um, there's the risk that we say no, or that we enter into that temptation. But every time we say no to temptation and yes to the Lord, we grow closer to the Lord. So there's a way in which those things can become uh, a tool for us. And it's almost like the, the, the evil one's like, oh, yeah, try something else. You know, so they're, they're, you know, and the Lord only allows them to, to do so much, um, knowing that we can overcome it. He never puts us in a place where we're overmatched totally. Like, I, I have no way to, to fight this, and so I'm just, I'm just stuck here. So it's important to realize. Okay, so that's... Rule 12, questions? But God does give you what you need to fight the devil. Yes. All you have to do is ask God for the help. Yes, he always gives us sufficient grace, right? So whether it's in a sense of like, 
I'm, I'm in a place where I have the ability to say no, or like you say, like I'm feeling overwhelmed and I need, I need to call on the Lord and ask for sort of reinforcements or new, new strength. The Lord never places us in a place where we are uh, bound to, to fall. So. so that's, a lot of people use that as an excuse, God made me do it. <laughs> yeah. But he didn't, he allows it. See, yes. they, they don't understand that word allow. Yes, yes. That, that, then it's a choice for us. Right. Once he allows. Right. Allows. So God wants us to love him, right? So because God wants us to love him, he does not require us to do good things because then it wouldn't be love, right? Love requires freedom. And so people will say, why does God allow, I'll even use that word, why does God allow bad things or evil things or whatever? And it's like, well, because he wants us to be good. He wants us to be a moral agent that is, that is capable of loving. Like when a dog does something or a horse does something, we don't say, oh, that dog, he's really, he really chose to love me. I mean, they, they choose, right? But they're, they're motivated by different things, right? So they can choose certain things that go with their nature. Mm -hmm. They can be trained very well, but they aren't a free agent like we are, right? We can choose, like I can choose to allow myself to be harmed for the good of another. Uh, you know, I can, I can make that choice. I'm, in this case, I'm going to suffer because better I suffer for this good than, than to go along with something that's evil. Right? I can make that choice and I can show God my love in that situation. So to have love means we have to have choice. To have choice means that we have to have the option of choosing good or, or bad, right? So sometimes it's hard for people to kind of walk their way through that logic and understand and of course right in in a horrible moment when we've lost a loved one or there's been a tragedy or some evil seems to be triumphing it's easy in those moments to say look at you god you're you're all powerful you're all good and you're all loving right well why look at this this is not seeming to be any of those things so those are the moments often when people will bring that argument up which is a it's a good thing to bring up because it's we're dealing with our experience so Okay, rule 13. Let us move to that one. It's one of the longest ones. Likewise, he acts as a licentious lover and wanting to be secret and not revealed. For as the licentious man who, speaking for an evil purpose, solicits, solicits a daughter of a good father or a wife of a good husband, wants his words and persuasions to be secret, and the contrary displeases him much, when the daughter reveals to her father or the wife to her husband his licentious words and depraved intention, because he easily gathers that he will not be able to succeed with the undertaking begun. In the same way, when the enemy of human nature brings his wiles and persuasions to the just soul, he wants the des and desires that they be received and kept in secret. But when one reveals them to a good confessor, or to another spiritual person that knows and decide his deceits and evil ends, it is very grievous to him, because he gathers from his manifest deceits being discovered that he will not be able to succeed with his wickedness begun. So the language is a little bit antiquated there, but the idea is when the evil one approaches us, 
and starts to kind of whisper in our ears and say, ah, how about this idea? Huh? What, what do you think? Huh? He doesn't want us to talk about it with someone who's going to persuade us otherwise and help us to see, right? So you can think of the example he uses there, uh, a young, innocent girl, and some scoundrel comes along and says, hey, let's go downtown and, and we'll have a good time and I'll pay for everything and da 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 all these convincing things. And if she's naive, she might choose to go down that path a little ways, not really understanding what it is she's entering into, right? It's not that she's bad, not that she's even intending bad, but she might be just out of curiosity or out of just not knowing, like not recognizing the danger. She kind of goes along with it. But if she starts to have a sense of like, oh, this is not so good and this character is shady or whatever, and she goes and gets help from someone, whether it's uh, another responsible adult or a policeman or her dad or a brother or something, somebody who has ability to step into that situation, then the scoundrel's going to leave, right? He's going he's gonna to try to get out of there because he knows his game is up. That's kind of how the evil one works, right? So if we're, in a, we're feeling sort of trapped or we're feeling sort of caught in whether it's a sin or a thought pattern or we're really nervous about something and we're just constantly worrying about it, he's going to keep feeding that, right? And what he doesn't want us to do is bring it up with somebody else who's going to help us discern what's going on. Whether that's your confessor or a friend who you trust and have had ability to kind of talk about these kind of spiritual things with, um, a spiritual director, someone who, who has an understanding of the spiritual life. Um, uh, that, that would be the usual kind of person. Um, you want, uh, he goes in, in, into pretty clear detail that it's not very good to bring this up with someone who's not going to help. So someone who might just sensationalize and say, you're right, you should worry about that. Like, you know, sometimes we want to share it and we go and talk to somebody. Instead of getting help, it like makes it worse. And then you have two people that are going, oh my gosh, this is horrible. What are we going to do? And just, you know, getting hysterical and that doesn't help. So we want to be particular about who we go and speak with. But uh, the idea is to not just keep it inside because we, we can get in that hamster wheel and we can just start running a million miles a minute and pretty soon it's like, all I can do is think about this thing that's driving me crazy and, and uh, I don't have a way out. So that's kind of the idea there is that we can get caught in that. Um, yeah. So we want to be... We want to unbind ourselves from those things. So the evil one will use shame. He'll use confusion, embarrassment, all these kinds of negative feelings to try to control us, right? So the feeling will be, if I tell this thing that I've been thinking about or that even that I've done, like I'm going to be banished or I'm going to be, they'll no longer be my friend or they, they won't, they'll just be mean to me or whatever. The, the, the idea is if I, if I tell someone or share the, about this thing that I'm feeling caught in, it's just going to get worse for me. And that's the evil one's idea is to keep us stuck in that place. If he can control us, control our, our feelings and our mood by this sense of like 
fear, basically, um, he will, right? So we have to recognize that pattern and say, oh, I've seen this before. I need to go tell my spiritual director or go talk to this close friend of mine that always helps me sort through these, these experiences or, or go talk to my priest or whatever. Um, so we have to recognize the signs, right? Um, recognize the signs, think about who I should speak to, and then what, what should be said. Those are sort of the three, you might say, steps to think about. Recognize the signs, think about who, who is the right person to go and talk to, and then what needs to be shared. Um, so, we, yeah, we'll, we'll hear things in our mind. We'll hear things like, you can't talk about this or, or anything else. If you, if you do this, you're going to be in trouble. Uh, they're going to be angry. They're going to be ashamed of you, blah, blah, blah. They'll abandon you. They'll laugh at you. They'll be angry. All those kinds of things, right? And we've probably all had that experience in our minds where we've, we've been dealing with something and then it, when you go and talk to somebody, it's like, oh, this isn't such a big deal. But it felt like it was the end of the world. So those are the kinds of things we'll, we'll experience. So we have to recognize those signs. When, when, the, when the talk in our mind turns negative or turns fearful or it's like totally like caught up in that sort of cycle that's kind of the sign that you're looking for of like okay wait a minute hold on that's when we have to be able to discern right so again we have our person here that's the moment we have to be able to step out and make a judgment and say what's going on you know I'm feeling all these fears I'm feeling all these emotions I'm feeling all these concerns why? Why am I doing that? And maybe at, even at that moment we can say, okay, even if this is legitimate fear, concern, whatever, I need to talk to somebody about it to help me sort through it. Because if it's legitimate, then they will say, yeah, you should be afraid. Or you are caught in a little cycle here and this is not legitimate. Uh, there might be some concerns, but not as much as you're making it out to be. Here's, let's talk about what to do about it. So. If we find ourselves in that place, and the key is to be able to step out and make that judgment, right? Because if we just are caught in the emotion itself and we stay there, we're trapped, right? Because we're just constantly like, ah, agitated, agitated, fearful, afraid, and we never take that step to find some freedom there. So we need to be able to take that important step. Yeah. Even if you experience, uh, sometimes the feeling will be, well, I'm going to talk about it. I've decided I'm going to talk about this thing, but there's never a good time to do it. You know, it just never seems like the right moment. The right moment will never come, right? You just have to, you have to go and make it happen. I need to talk to you about something. Okay. When are we going to do it? This day, this time, you know, if it has to be that clear, then it has to be that clear. Yeah. Because the enemy will say things like, that person's so busy, they, they'll never, you don't want to overburden them. They're already, they already do so much for you, whatever, blah, blah, blah. You'll, he'll hear those kinds of things in your mind. Like the evil one is very crafty, right? He'll find, he'll know exactly how you, what, what fears to prey on, right? Like if it's like, oh, this person is kind of reserved and they, they, they don't want to, trouble anybody, he'll play upon that. He'll say, oh, you, you'll be such a burden. Don't be such a weenie. Just 
man up and just deal with this thing yourself. Like, don't, don't feel like you have to share this with somebody else. Like, he'll, he'll play on that, right? So we have to kind of know ourselves a little bit. And it's helpful if we can start to recognize those patterns. Okay, who to speak to? We've kind of talked about this already, but a confessor. So back in Ignatius' day, it wasn't uncommon for everybody to have the a confessor that they would regularly go to. Most often it was their parish priest, but in a big city or whatever, they're probably you could go multiple places. So um, a spiritual director. So some people, especially in religious life, would have a spiritual director. These days, it's not that common to have a director because there's just not that many people who are trained to be a director. But maybe you have a spiritual friend or a spiritual confidant, somebody that you trust um, that has a little bit of knowledge that can just say to you, I don't think that fear or that uh, thing that happened is what you think it is. Or I don't, you know, like, can just help you sort through it a little bit. Um, if you go on a retreat, like your retreat master or uh, one of the staff there, a lot of times they have training in this kind of stuff. So um, those, those can be things. Because a lot of times when we're on a retreat, like even as a priest or a religious, when we go on a retreat, you're dealing with this stuff, right? Because you're, you're trying to understand what is God asking me to do. And so you might be sorting through things. So, so just having somebody else to talk through can be helpful. Again, to get it out in the open versus keeping it in where I'm just dealing with my own thoughts and the evil one's temptations. What to share? So you want to share the things that the, the wiles or the persuasions, the deceits, the malicious designs, you kind of just share, these are the thoughts I'm having, or these are the, the concerns I have, and are they valid or not? You know, are they based in truth or not? Am I, am I overthinking this? Am I whatever the situation is? So you want to share what, what's troubling you, where are you finding yourself being troubled? Um, so that's where, it, sometimes it is a sensitive thing, like if it's an area of sin or something like that, you, you want to be sensitive, but you don't, uh, you want to give enough information that they can help you understand what you're experiencing. Um, and if you have a confessor who you regularly go to, that's helpful because, or again, a spiritual friend or a director, helpful because they see the patterns in your life, right? There's a relationship versus like, it's like, has anybody had to call tech support before? Mm -hmm. <laughs> so you call, right? And they say, oh, yes, here, I'll connect you. And they connect you to somebody. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Hello. Oh, yes, you need to talk to so-and-so. Yes, okay. Mm -hmm. Hey. Yeah. And in between each one, there's like an hour wait, right? So um, <clears throat> sometimes if what we really need in those times is <clears throat> somebody who knows us, knows what we struggle with, knows what our technical issues are, who can just say, ah, yes, remember, uh, you put in this new Windows software and we need to do this. And they tell you what to do. And they, they know enough. And then you call the next week. Hey, so-and-so, da-da-da. And they're like, yep, here's what you do. So you need somebody like that versus somebody who just, you have to tell them the whole story of like, well, I did this and then this happened and then this and this and this and by the time you get to the end they're like and what am I supposed to help you with you know so 
but if they were there with you at every step, they sort of are walking with you. They kind of were there. So that's the idea with a confessor or a spiritual director or a spiritual friend versus <coughs> someone who doesn't know you, right? Or you can share this in confession. Like if you go to a random, pre random priest and go to confession, they can advise you a little bit. But if you go to the same confessor and they kind of know you, it's a little different because you can kind of say, okay, we've gone through some of these things or we, I, I know your personality or I know who you are. And so there's a, there's a relationship there that helps. So that's kind of what he's getting at is it's helpful to have somebody like that versus just random person. Does that make sense? Uh, yes, okay, let's talk a quick example from St. Therese of Lisieux, I think, is that one? Okay, so this is St. Therese of Lisieux, you guys know who that is? So she's a Carmelite nun. And she's just about to make her final vows, and she writes this, or she's reflecting back on, the, on this experience. The beautiful day of my wedding, her final vows, finally arrived. It was without a single cloud. However, the preceding evening, a storm arose in my soul, the like of which I had never seen before. Uh, she continues, not a single doubt concerning my vocation had ever entered my mind until then. So this is the night before she's supposed to make her final vows. And it evidently was necessary that I experience this trial. In the evening, while making the way of the cross after matins, my vocation appeared to, to me a, a, as a dream, a chimera. I found life in Carmel to be very beautiful, but the devil inspired me with the assurance that it wasn't for me, and that I was misleading my superiors by advancing in this way in which I wasn't called. The darkness was so great that I could understand one thing only. I didn't have a vocation to religious life. Ah, how can I possibly describe the anguish in my soul? Uh, then she goes forward. It appeared to me, and this is absurdity, which shows it was a temptation from the devil, that I was, that if I were to tell my novice mistress about these fears, she would prevent me from pronouncing my vows. And still... I wanted to do God's will and return to the world rather than remain in Carmel and do my own will. So, keep this secret. Don't tell anybody. Because then bad things are going to happen. But she, she overrules that. I made the novice mistress come out of the choir, place where they pray, pray the hours, and filled with confusion, I told her the state of my soul. Fortunately, she saw things much clearer than I did, and she completely reassured me. The act of humility I had just performed put the devil to flight since he had perhaps thought that I would not dare admit my temptation. My doubts left me completely as soon as I had finished speaking. So she continues on, but you get, kind of get the idea there. Like, that's the kind of thing that the evil one will play on, right? Oh, I can't tell this to anybody because... So you feel caught, you feel stuck. And you can imagine... If she had gone through with her vows without having this little kerfuffle where she actually went and talked to her novice mistress, and I think later she does talk to the superior too, the spirit general, um, 
she might have made her vows, but then she'd always be questioning, were those sincere? Should I have done this? Was this the right thing? Because I made it in that state of confusion. confusion, right? Now, could God have pulled her through that? Yes, but much better that she went and shared this with her novice mistress, was reassured, like, this is okay, like, and that actually the devil fled as soon as she went and talked about it. So... There's a way in which sometimes we can, just by speaking the words, talking about it, can make it more clear in our own minds. Questions about Rule 13? Okay. Let us move then to 14. Last rule. The 14th. Likewise, he behaves as a chief bent on conquering and robbing what he desires. For as a captain of the chief of the army, pitching his camp and looking for the forces, looking at the forces or defenses of a stronghold, attacks it on the weakest side. In like manner, the enemy of human nature, roaming about, looks into, uh, looks in turn at all our virtues, the theological, cardinal, and moral, and where he finds us weakest and most in need of our eternal salvation. There he attacks us and aims at, t- at taking us. So, so, this is an important thing to know. The devil never attacks where we're strong, right? He always attacks where we're weak. And we can say, ah, I put so much time and energy into these defenses and they're no good. Well, they're good, right? Because they keep him from attacking there, but it's never enough to... Um, we have to recognize that. Like, he doesn't... It's good to be strong, but... He's always going to look for the weak point, so it's not enough just to have one strong point. We can't say, like, well, I have this one awesome virtue, and everything depends on you attacking this, right? You know, if you have a castle, and the, the, the gatehouse is, like, the strongest spot there, they're not going to attack there. They're going to go around and, like, oh, the wall is crumbling over here. Like, that's where they're going to attack, right? So the devil's just like us in the sense that this image, I love this image because it's so clear in my mind. Like, yeah, that's what he does, right? He doesn't, he doesn't go for the... Have you heard of the Maginot Line? Anybody heard of that? The Maginot Line? The Maginot Line. It was a, a line of defense that the French built after World War I. So if you know your, uh, your geography a little bit. So World War I, of course, was a battle fought with trenches and all that. So if this is the French, and if this is France over here, and this is Germany over here, the French built a lot, a huge like defensive wall basically with like artillery and trenches and concrete bunkers and everything. But over here, we have Belgium. Did Belgium build bunkers and things? No. So what did the Germans do in World War II? They went around the wall, right? So all this, the, the French had all their military and everything here, and they were going to be strong, but it didn't work because the, the devil doesn't attack where you're strong. He attacks where you're weak. So they found out that it didn't work so good. They didn't, this, this did a great job. Nobody came through here. Nobody came, they were safe there, but that's not where we were attacked. So we have to recognize 
this is how the evil one attacks us. And that's why we have to constantly be looking at ourselves and not be focusing on our strengths. Yes, we want to work on those, but we also have to be very aware of what are my weaknesses? What are the vices that I struggle with? What are the areas uh, that I tend to feel weak? And we have to ask the Lord to help us in those areas and be particularly uh, cautious there, right? So we have to we have to kind of be aware. The devil's a bully. He doesn't play fair, right? He does, he's not looking for honor, an honorable fight, an honorable duel where we face each other man to man and whatever. He's looking to be the, the, the sneaky, uh, behind the back, stab in the back kind of guy. That's, that's all he wants, and he'll do whatever it takes. So he's looking for the easy target. So when we're tired... When we're, depending on our, our makeup, if we're tired or angry or hungry or worn down, he's going to attack then and in the places where we're weak. That's when we're going to be tempted to low and earthly things, temptations, and he knows exactly what to kind of panhandle and say, hey, how about one of these? This doesn't look tasty right now. I'm tired, and when I'm tired, I go watch TV, or when I'm lonely i uh i go and hang out with these friends you know that are not good for me or that's when i go for the alcohol or that's you know whatever it is you know he knows where to attack us and so we have to know ourselves and say okay i'm weak right now that means i shouldn't put myself in certain situations because i just know it's going to be easier for the evil one to get me so i have to be aware of that so Rule 14 is all about knowing ourselves, uh, seeing how the evil one attacks, and just being smart about that. You know, we're not going to always be able to avoid it. Probably at times we're just going to not see it in time, right? But as these patterns develop and as we start to see, like, ah, this is what happened last time. So hopefully it'll never be World War III, but I don't think the French are going to do that again, right? Like, they're... Fool me once, what's the saying? saying? Fool me once, shame on me. Fool me twice, or no, shame on you. Fool me, fool me twice, shame on me. So there's a way in which we have to learn from our mistakes. We have to learn how the evil one attacks and where he attacks, and then to strengthen that, to to do what we can there. So okay, we're just about out of time. Questions. So now what we have to do is apply these rules in our lives, right? Question? I don't have a question. I have a comment. I believe that the mother of God, one of her duties is to get my soul to heaven, just like everyone else. Uh -huh. And I believe that the rosary is very powerful. Mm -hmm. I. I feel half naked if I don't have a rosary in my pocket mm -hmm. when I dress. Um, at night, I have the rosary under my pillow, right close at hand. And there are times when I keep getting this recurring thought of just, it just tears me apart, something that happened in my past that I messed up, and I've confessed, and I know that it's it's a it's 
been taken care of, mm -hmm. but the devil still tries to keep bringing this up to me, and mm -hmm. it's come to my attention that I'm living in the past because I keep going there and mm -hmm. getting all upset and worked up. So I've learned that, yes, our Blessed Mother is very powerful. The rosary is a sacramental, and the devil hates Mary. He hates the rosary. So whenever I find myself going down this path, I know now to stop, grab my rosary, say the word, say the name of Mary and Jesus, and um, maybe try to think of what Jesus encountered in his life, similar to what I'm, I've got in front of me here. And it, I meditate on that, it goes away, and I can fall back to sleep. Sure, yeah. So there's a spiritual battle that you're experiencing there. And if you look at the rules of discernment, you might be able to say which ones you are applying and which ones you could apply. But yeah, that, that idea of sometimes even we can, if we know the enemy's tactics a little bit, we can start to even be on the offensive. Like when we start to get those thoughts, we can say, okay, little demon, every time you bring this up, I'm going to take that as a, as a, that you're giving glory and honor to Mary and, and Jesus because you're, you're challenging their care for me or what I mean. Like you can start to like pray at this particular thought or this attack that's happening and, and just be very, uh, not bold in the sense of like, I'm powerful, but like God's going to take care of me and you know, he's, he's given me some great allies and so forth. So yeah, there's, there's definitely ways we can be offensive against these things, but that's kind of applying these different rules. So the idea is, these are all tools. Mm -hmm. We have to learn how to use them. It's not, you know, giving, if you think of like a soldier, if you just give them all the equipment and say, ha, now you're good to go. Like, it's like you have to learn how to use the stuff and how to how to carry it and when to use it and when not to use it. Which one to use, you know? You don't use the handgun always. You use the rifle sometimes, or you know, sometimes you lay uh, landmines. Sometimes you uh, set up a, a wall or whatever. You know, like you have to learn the different tactics. And so, hopefully, this course, these uh, three, four nights, four nights, I guess. Uh, we're at opportunity to just learn about how to kind of prepare ourselves to use these these tools. But um, any final questions? Yeah. Uh, one thing when I was involved in the charismatic renewal, we sang a song at the name of Jesus, mm -hmm. demons have to flee. Yes. So when I find something coming at me, immediately I say Jesus. Mm -hmm. And it's gone. Yeah. And it, it works. It, it's like I, I believe it. Yes. So, yes. but I was, I'm grateful that, you know, that music, that song comes back to me. Yes. And yes. there's more, nothing more powerful. Yeah. And of course, with the Blessed Mother, yeah. we have it. Yes. But we just have to use, we have to yeah. use. Yeah, and we have to be sincere in it too, right? So, yes. when I say that word, I believe it, right. I, I trust it. Trust. You know, if I'm an atheist and I say, Jesus, it's like, it's not going <laughs> to. It's not going to no. do a lot, right? No. Unless I'm sincere in that moment, I'm saying, 
I need Jesus. I'm recognizing Jesus is real and I need him. Like, you know, but um, it's not magic, right? It's, it's applying real uh, forces here. So, yeah. Well, good. Well, thank you for coming. Um, we'll, we'll say a, a final prayer and then, uh, yeah, we'll just close out with this prayer. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, Amen. Lord, we ask you to help each one of us uh, in our own spiritual journey, wherever we are. We just ask you to help us to continue to walk with you. Help us to be able to apply these rules in our lives. Pray for the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to uh, continue desiring and following the path that you have placed before us, knowing that there will be ups and downs, but that you will always give us sufficient grace to overcome the obstacles that the evil one places in our path. And we ask together. Uh, that you would bless us this night as we pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. In the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.